1: You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast. We talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Adweek. And with me this week is not Shannon Miller, our creative and inclusion editor who usually co-hosts, but instead, Emmy Lederman, our colleague who covers agencies, covers the creator economy. Emmy, great to have you in the co-host chair.
3: It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: We've been joking since I think like your first month here that you've been climbing the power, like doing constant power grabs to take over the podcast. So if I ever like don't have a proof of life check with with folks, they will know that Emmy has 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 gotten rid of me and taken over the show.
3: Right. It's it's really only a matter of time. So um, watch (laughs) out for Griner, everyone.
1: So with that, uh, we have got uh, a really great topic that I think a, a, that we both care about uh, a lot and uh, that I think has been in generating increasing amounts of conversation in the industry. It's about the creator economy. It is about influencers, about how they're compensated, about how brands partner with them. Uh, and the fact that uh, you know we spend a lot of time talking about the folks at the very top of those most followed TikTok charts. Uh, and the the multi 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 million uh, followed accounts. Uh, but there's millions of other folks uh, who are just as, and I would argue, whole, a whole lot more interesting and worthy of partnerships and support and endorsements. And so with that, uh, to talk with us about some of the issues around that, we've got Alex Morrison uh, from PearPop. Alex, how you doing? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. And then we've got an influencer duo here, a two-for-one. Uh, it was called The Classics. Uh, This is JT and Summer. How are y'all doing?
4: Awesome. Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having us.
1: All right. So, as I mentioned, you were known as the Class Six. That's with three eyes after the class. Yep. <laughs> uh, tell us. Tell us about your content. What do you What do you guys do? Um, well, for the most part, we just do relatable
4: stuff. You know, a lot of our content comes from situations that we've went through ourselves. So we kind of try to make light of it and then, you know, turn it into some comedy, just some entertainment.
5: What he means is, you know, we're here in our apartment, only us two, and we crack ourselves up and think maybe other people will like it too. And then we post it and it works sometimes. The
1: so. majority of the time. <laughs> nice. And uh, just because we are going to be talking about, uh, about numbers and audience size and how brands and all of them quantify uh, influence. Tell us a little bit about the size of your audience.
4: Um, well, total was well, TikTok. We're about 674, but I think total we're a little over 700,000
0: through all of our social
1: media accounts. Awesome. Congratulations. And Alex, uh, tell us a little bit about PearPop.
0: Definitely. So PearPop, um, you know, our mission is really to help creators earn a living doing what they love, right? We're creator-first company. We're the fastest-growing community of creators out there with about 150,000 creators today who use PearPop to grow and monetize their influence. Um, and in turn, uh, brands can instantly and directly collaborate with those creators um in what we call influence on demand that direct access to collaborate with creators so it's a it's a great community and uh classics are a great uh addition to the group for sure uh we're, we're thrilled to be on with them
1: all right Amy, tell us a little bit about um you, you have uh been kind of driving this conversation this is something we've been talking about tackling on the show for a while tell us what made you want to uh have this conversation and then you can open us up with the the first topic you want to get into
3: Yeah, so I actually had a conversation um, with Alex about, uh, I would say, a few months ago when he moved over to PairPop as the CMO. And it's really interesting to see, first of all, the the kind of great migration of a bunch of traditional agency folks over to the influencer world. And also, as the influencer economy, um, the creator economy continues to gain traction and becomes sort of at the center stage of marketing tactics, there's a lot of um, di- questions of diversity and inclusion that need to be considered because the the industry and the the subject matter is, is so entrepreneurial. That's kind of what gives it its spirit. It also can be a downfall in that there's not a lot of regulation. So I think that that is a huge topic that we want to touch on and just because it's still in some of its infant stages, um, there's, a lot, there's a lot more that needs to happen for it to be regulated and understood. Um, so first, I think it would be a great place to start and to talk about the creator middle class. So maybe, Alex, can you tell us a little bit about what the creator middle class really encompasses and how you're trying to um, really support it through PairPop?
0: Yeah, that sounds great. So, first of all, let's just talk about the creator economy as a whole, right? There's roughly 50 million creators out there, people who think of themselves as creators. About half of those consider themselves amateurs, uh, and the others are actually trying to have a go at it, right? They're trying to make money, earn a living, uh, being a creator full time. And, you know, when you look at the disparity right, the way that the, the the dollars flow in their creator economy, it is very, very distorted to the top 1% to 2% of creators. Um, and so you're left with a middle class. And I would define that as really people with maybe a low uh, six-figure to low seven-figure following, where they have significant scale, generally really high engagement uh, because their audiences actually connect with them on a human level. They don't think of them as some far-off You know, celebrity, they think of them as people who they can really relate to, right? Um, And so the engagement is much higher. But the the problem that has historically existed up until this point is um, it's relatively easier to engage one mega superstar creator because you get that reach number that a lot of brands are looking for than it is to deal with creating uh, groups, let's say, of mid tier creators who together can create significant reach um, and that engagement that is lacking with the the really top tier folks generally. Um, So the middle class, as a result, basically does not exist. The middle tier exists. We all can define that. I think our goal should be to create a real middle class in the creator economy. There's plenty of data to suggest that um, creator platforms themselves Uh, benefit from a a better distribution of opportunity to more creators. I mean, you look at as a cautionary tale, right? What happened to Vine, right? Where creators just sort of fled that platform for others that came along. Um, Any platform that only has a few people making money on it is very vulnerable uh, to that kind of flight. So not just for the benefit of the platform, but primarily for the benefit of the creators, we're thinking a lot about how can we create better opportunities, better, more predictable access to great opportunities for all creators, regardless of their exact follower count.
1: JT and Summer, um, how would you describe the the kind of deals that you've done so far with brands, uh, it sponsor just paid opportunities? How have those come along for you? What kind of uh, what kind of deals have you have you done?
4: We've done a few. We've done um, we had a bedsheet company. We've done like a gar- card game um we just got an offer from pepsi uh we've done uh we've done a lot we've ramen
5: done, noodle yeah a ramen cooker, noodle
4: cooker when you
5: put in your microwave
4: um we've done a number of things what was the other one we did a few i don't know honestly uh, i'd have to look through our uh, but we've done we've done a few enough to for us to keep doing this i want to do it full time i'll tell you right. that much <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. and i mean going to you know the the big picture issue that alex talking about here do you feel like, and and maybe this is changing, um, but do you feel like that TikTok and these other platforms have had a problem with too much focus, uh, especially in terms of the monetization on the folks at the very top? Uh, and and where do you feel like you fit into there? And, and do you feel like you're starting to get more of a voice and more of a, of a slice of the, the brand monetization pie?
5: Well, I think since TikTok has been created, I think it's definitely opened up a A huge door of opportunity for a lot of creators to be able to use the platform. Because if you look at other platforms like Instagram and Facebook, there's usually like one archetype of a creator or an influencer that usually gets all the following, that usually gets all the attention, and usually gets all the money. So I think TikTok, in and of itself, because of the nature of the algorithm and what people are actually posting, um, it's like more real, it's more authentic. So I think it's. Given people, you know, more people, the opportunity to just share what they're passionate about and have others relate to it and actually get compensated for that. Because, like I said, on other social media platforms, it seems like the only people who really are, um, you know, benefiting from any kind of brand deals or anything like that are the people who have XYZ things or look a certain way or... Things like that.
4: Yeah. I mean, for me, um, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Uh, TikTok has definitely um, given us a, a better opportunity. I mean, just for example, there was a video we posted on Instagram, you know, got 425 views. Um, somebody told us, hey, you guys should try TikTok. We posted it on TikTok and it got 1.2 million views and 11,000 <laughs> wow. followers in right. two days, right. you know. So.
5: I just think that TikTok has a different creative, um, like, uh, leniency than any other platform. It it's it really focuses on people, like really people, not just materialism or, you know, appearances or. Uh, social status.
1: <laughs> Man. Yeah, the discoverability of TikTok is so f- phenomenal, you know, and I think for those who haven't really used it, who maybe think of it as being analogous with Instagram, I think that's what they're missing, you know, is, is that experience of going into the the FYP, the, the basically the home screen, and you can get served up anything and, and you watch people just absolutely blow up overnight uh, through, through the quality of their content, to your point, not through some kind of very traditional uh, route to success. I mean, you know, some game the system more than others. There's certainly a lot of discussion around that. But I would say overwhelmingly, it's people really putting effort into that. And are we making headway on the, you know, there there was a lot of debate in the early days of TikTok when it was very dance centric and feeling like there wasn't enough credit giving, being given to the talent of color that was creating a lot of the content that would then uh, go viral and then really become uh, adopted by often white uh, creators. Do you feel that that situation is changing as more volume has been brought to that conversation? Or are we still in in a bit of a disparity there between the folks who create trends and the folks who become popular for them?
5: I think what's interesting about that is the people who create the trends are not popular. And the people who get popular for the trends are already popular. I think that's kind of the disparity. Um, I say that because, you know, if you do a dance and Charlie D'Amelio really likes it and she does it too, she just has a further reach and she has a lot more eyes on her. So I just feel like, you know, it's more likely that she would be credited for something that a smaller creator made because she just has more of an audience. Um also, the other day, Justin and I were speaking about how um, a lot of creators of of any color, really, but mostly, you know, black creators, they come onto TikTok and create content that doesn't necessarily um, bring any kind of like information or benefit or like joy or, or in, a positive experience
4: or inclusiveness.
5: Yes. To um the viewers on TikTok. So in my opinion, because as creators, JT our and I ourselves, we come up with content that's based on what we are passionate about doing, which is laughing. We make a lot of jokes and we think other people might like them too. And so we post it and and it does well. Sometimes it doesn't and that's fine, but we're not, we're not spreading any kind of message that would be touchy or um,
4: controversial.
5: Right. Or anything like that. And I think unfortunately that's part of a disparity on um, creators of color. Maybe not being as noticed is because of what they're putting out there.
4: Right. So if you're, if you're, you know, a dog, you know, if you, if you love dogs and you make, you know, video strictly for dog owners, then you can't expect your videos to really get, you know, put out, pushed out to a lot of people who are just into cats or, you know what I'm saying? So it's just, you know, if you're, if you're only catering your content to a certain demographic of people, then you can't complain that your, your stuff is not getting pushed as wide, you know? So we just try to make sure we include everybody. We don't, uh, catered to a certain demographic or to, you know, Black people or to white people. We we talk about, you know, marriage. We talk about relationship issues. We talk about, you know, stuff that we witnessed when we were in school, stuff with your parents and kids, you know, stuff that mostly everybody can relate to at least one point in their life. So.
5: I think that our, our content is all inclusive the same way that TikTok's um, algorithm and their policies and their rules for what they show to their viewers is all inclusive. There are people of all ages and um, from all from places from all over the world who are on TikTok. And um, it's all you can look at anything on the FYP page and learn something and be interested in it. Whereas anywhere else, like on Instagram or Facebook or any other platform that exists, it's kind of you know, limited, the scope of what you're shown is limited to maybe what you you like a lot or,
4: right. you know. and then on top of that, you know, my mom always said people who read know these things. TikTok has yeah. FYP guidelines. They do. You know, they tell you the type of stuff that will and will not be pushed to the FYP. So if, you know, if you follow the guidelines, you're pretty much mm-hmm. in good uh, standing at all times. So we just try to follow that. And plus, you know, we're interested in appealing to brands. Right. <laughs>
1: LinkedIn, the place to be. To be. How did those first few uh, branded branded clips go? I remember, like in the Vine days, there was still a lot of light. I don't think people liked seeing their favorite creators uh, really start getting monetization offers. But these days, I feel like people are like, "Hey, good for you! Glad to see you right. getting supported." What was the response like for you? Um.
4: Well, the, well, when we did, I think we did. Um, uh, it was called Miracle Brands. They did like bed sheets. Um, that one was pretty cool. We did, you know, because we try to incorporate comedy because, you know, we do comedy content. So we won't just sit here and, you know, we don't come on and say, hey, guys, you know, we I just want you guys to check out this company. We actually create a skit like, you know, we, something yeah. right. We did something to make people like we did an actual commercial, an old school commercial with the music for the ramen noodle cooker. You know, we just we try to make it uh, something that you can enjoy and laugh at. And then, you know, we'll plug the content in. But we don't sit here and just describe the content or just come on. We don't we, you know we try to make it seem. Uh, It's less like an ad as possible.
5: I think more and more people are starting to understand what social media is, what the possibilities that are actually in it. If you don't understand what it can be used for and how you can benefit from it, then I could see it being very difficult to be happy for someone who's making money off of it that you are watching that you feel like you're supporting if you just don't know, you know.
2: Right.
4: So, I mean, they did pretty good. They didn't do as well as our, you know, completely viral videos. But as we got more and more followers and people have become more attached to us and relate to us, they kind of just wait for whatever we do and then, you know, appreciate it and uh, share it and, you know, maybe purchase some of the product that we uh, (laughs) put in the video or brand, whatever brand we mentioned.
0: You know, just one one little anecdote to add from a slightly different perspective on the shift that's been happening around paid uh, deals uh, with brands is you know, maybe a couple of years ago, you're right, David, it was seen as sort of like, oh, well, do I really love that my favorite creator is is sort of quote selling out or whatever, you know, whatever you want to say about it. Um, Now what we've started to actually see is some up and coming creators uh, who maybe aren't as far down the road as the classics um, actually start putting um, fake brand hashtags in their in their content to make it look to other would-be partners that they're already big enough to be getting brand deals. And so the pendulum has swung that far where certain creators actually want to get that stamp of approval that they are brand approved, and they're actually putting brand hashtags on there just to attract future collaborators. So I think there's become a, a point in this process where um, it went from, oh, well, this is all about only just having a good time creating content to you know what creators actually have a meaningful voice and can make money doing this. Um, and that evolution i think is is a journey that fans of creators have had to take as well um where you know people now understand that um, the people they love the content they're they're engaging with, Um, has met a real audience and you shouldn't be surprised when you should actually applaud um, those creators for, you know, getting their piece. Um, And I think that's actually a really nice thing that we're seeing happen.
3: Yeah. I think it's really interesting when you think about TikTok and ad fatigue and ad blindness. Um, I think if you asked me even a few months ago, I would have said that a lot of times when creators get their first brand deal, you know, up and coming creators, it's sort of, you know, their their audience is like, oh, we lost another one, you know, like someone else has succumbed to brand deals. But um for for the classics, I'm wondering what was the the reaction from your audience when you started working with brands and doing that collaborative content? Were they kind of like really supportive and, and wanted you to get your coin and and cash in on some some profit?
4: Well, yeah. I mean, they were pretty because of who we are i guess and they you know they they like the relatability and the the authentic and genuine nature that we bring um majority of our content every time we did a brand deal you know you always had people laugh you know of course but then you always had a couple of people that comment and say you know oh yeah i checked that out or i'm going to check them out or you know i just got mine or you know it's a certain company we did we did something for printful and you know we we still making money off of printful because you know, we've had over a hundred something people sign up under our link and create stores and sell products, and you know, we're getting a piece off everybody's store. So, you know, they react pretty, um, um, pretty good. From- I think
5: it. I think it also has something to do with what Alex mentioned earlier that, um, you know, we're not seen as like celebrities or people that are so far out of reach that are so on a living on a different planet than the person behind the screen watching it all happen, like. I think people really do think of us as friends and they think of us as people that, you know, they can definitely relate to and that we have maybe the same interests. And so they trust um, whatever it is that we're showing them. And also our content is consistent with what we always put out. It's always funny. So, you know, it, it caters to what they're looking for from us, from the classics. But also, I think it's like it's like taking advice from a close friend or somebody you trust that. Hey, you know this product is cool i really like it maybe you should try it
4: and right we we make sure that it it, it coincides with our content you know so, so if, if we're singers you know if we were famous singers and then all of a sudden we're talking about a vacuum in an ad they're like oh where's the song you know <laughs> we, we we don't we don't want to hear about a vacuum <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what i mean so we right. make sure our content stays you know uh you know relatable to what we normally put out so yeah,
5: we've had pretty good feedback
4: With ads. Yeah. Nobody's commenting like, Oh, here we go. You know, we get views, they're laughing. And then, you know, they wind up a few people wind up purchasing the product or checking out the product. Or, you know, we always have a a gauge to be able to tell, you know, how many people are clicking on our links and causing the company to come back and ask us to do another video next month or, you know, two or three videos within a month. So, you know, it's
1: pretty good. Here's here's a question I've always had about, um, you know, because of, of TikTok and the way that you just get so popular so quickly, like when you reach a point where you realize, oh, I could be getting brand deals, I could be getting paid. How do you figure out, A, where to even start? Like like if I blew up tomorrow, and I assure you I'm not going to, but like if I did, I wouldn't know where to even start. Uh, and I, I certainly wouldn't know what to charge if I was approached. And I, I'm sure Alex obviously has some thoughts on this, but from from your point of view, JT and Summer, like, you know, what What did you do in that situation? How did you even start that process?
4: Well, the first brand deal we got, of course, you know, how it always starts is they offer products first, you know, because you're small, you have a small following. So they say, we'll send you a free product. So of course we did those with no problem. But then it shifted from, you know, a product and we got an email there and say, hey, we'll send you some free product and we'll offer you $100. And we're like, wow, we're, now we're getting paid. You know, by this time we had already actually done a few pair Pop Videos because we're like, hey, we can get, we're getting a nice amount of, of views so we can get some extra money. But um, when they start sending those deals, we're like, okay, so we at least we know now we're worth $100. You know what I'm saying? Right, so, right. and then, you know, it went from 100 to 700. And then every time it goes up, we just raise our price. And then now, you know, we have a good gauge of what we're worth based off what we're being offered from the get go.
5: I think also it's like, it's like, uh, it's kind of like that hashtag, putting the hashtag of a known brand in your. In your content and your caption, like the more the more and more you make content, the more consistent you are, the more people that engage with it, the more that these brands come to you. Like right. we haven't had, we haven't really done any outreach to brands because I think the more popular we grew, mm-hmm. the more valuable we were viewed as, and mm-hmm. so of course brands want to get themselves out there, so they kind of come searching for us in a way. So really. If you wanted, if you did blow up tomorrow and you didn't know where to start, um, accepting a free product would be a good place a good and start. and keep doing what you're doing. And then, you know, eventually somebody will think that you're worth their their money or their investment to put their own brand out there.
4: Prime example, we, you know, we don't know how much we're worth until honestly a brand, you know, offers money. So now, you know, we, we want to put this, don't want to put this out there, but we will. Uh, Pepsi sent us a deal. And they offered us five grand for one video, and we're like, "Wow!" So five thousand dollars for one TikTok video—that's what we're worth.
1: Right.
4: So that nice. you know, that's a good gauge for us. Basically, what we get offered helps us understand what we're worth.
5: Metrics and and you know, views and engagement all play a really big role in that too. And these brand companies—they look into all that. They do their research on these content creators. They go, they look, they look at. Um, you know, these websites that tell you about what your engagement is, the, you know, your reach, your followers, all that kind of stuff, your views per month and shares. They determine for themselves, like, how worth it it is to use this particular creator to get their product out there.
1: Yeah, Alex, uh, I mean, what can you tell us about kind of the, the changing nature of transparency in this industry, I think a lot of people faulted the lack of transparency with a lot of the iniquity that was was in influencer uh, brand deals early on. Is that a lot of people, to the point of this conversation, like sometimes you just you either get offered something or you throw out a number and you hope that they'll accept it. But it feels like we're slowly learning more, sometimes from grassroots efforts from uh, influencers themselves. But we're slowly getting a little more transparent about the amount of money, and and to and it seems like without that, we're never going to reach a point where everyone's paid fairly and equally.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that you know the days of uh, brands defaulting to paying creators with a free case of yogurt or whatever it might have been like it might be a great way to get your first deal, but that will not sustain any economy, right? Like, so for the sustainability and good of the brands themselves and what they want to derive in terms of value out of the creator economy, um, we need to make sure that the participants in the creator economy, namely the creators, uh, can make a living wage doing what they love, right? And so that's like first and foremost, right? And a way to do that is to ensure that not all of the fee that a brand is willing to offer gets sort of siphoned into various, uh, you know, gatekeepers along the way, right? The more transparent we can be about how much of the available brand budget is going to the creators, the actual people creating the work, I think the better off we'll be with that level of increased transparency. Uh, One of the things that um, we've been doing specific to this is um, you know, I think it's very easy or tempting for a brand to value what or, or determine what they should pay a creator based off of their historical metrics, follower count, engagement rate, things of that nature. Um, but that doesn't necessarily predict what that creator is going to do for that brand with that piece of video content that they create, right? That's in the future. So, one of the things that we do. Um, is we say, look, anyone can be a a member of PearPop, right? You can just sign up right now if you want. Um, When you participate in a brand challenge, uh, any brand opportunity on PearPop will actually pay off the creators based off of the views and engagements that they generate for that specific opportunity. So if the classics came in with a lower following than they have today, Um, but they just absolutely crushed it for that brand. They created amazing content that was authentic to them, authentic to the brand. People just loved it like a real piece of content. Um, They would earn more than if they phoned it in and they created something and were just trading on the follower count they had from yesterday, right? So I really believe that um, figuring out a way to compensate creators for the impact that they create, not just their historical stats and metrics, is one dimension of this that is very interesting. It's what we're doing. Certainly encourage more companies to think about it that way. But, uh, you know, the more that we can do that, I think, and just in general, move to a place where we're being really clear with one another about, you know, the value that creators bring to the table, the better the whole creator economy is going to be.
1: Well, before we uh, run out of time, Emmy, any other questions you wanted to to hit up? We we've got, uh, a great uh, duo here of both the influencers and uh, folks on the on the monetizing side. Uh, so what else do you want to make sure we cover?
3: Yeah, I think um, something that all of our audience members or most of them are, are curious about is, I wrote a story about this, but it's always something that could be expanded upon. Um, for the classics, I'm wondering, what are sort of like your biggest pet peeves when it comes to working with brands without naming any names? Is there anything that kind of turns you off when working with them? How much creative liberty do you like to have on your projects? And basically, what kind of insight can you give people? Can you give people on the brand side when it comes to making these deals?
4: Well, I know one of the issues that I have mm, is not being like, like Alex said, being upfront with the amount. So we had the company offer us a hundred dollars. We, at the time we had well over 200,000 followers. And I said, well, um, right now we're charging five because somebody had paid us, offered us seven. So we said, we're worth five. They immediately within, I think three minutes was like, okay, we can do 375. So I'm like, why offer a hundred? If, you know, you can easily do 375 and which I probably, you know, I I feel like was still kind of low, but you know, it's just, it's things like that um, that kind of bother me, you know, when it comes to brands, just not being upfront or or just trying to, you know, get the lowest they can for the maximum amount of, you know, um, exposure. Yeah. That that's one of them. Um, yeah, I think that's the main thing with brands. I mean, we don't, I don't really care if, you know, what the brand is. I mean, of course, if it doesn't coincide with what we do, um, and then, you know, sometimes brands just want people to buy a product that's not, um, Uh, not, not uh, quality. You know what I mean? Like you have a, you, you know, that this product is, is not good. You know, that it's, it's cheap or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, and you are just trying to get exposure to get people to buy your, 19 or 17 dollar product you're trying to get 100 you look at numbers you know i feel like a lot of people just like hey if we can get a hundred thousand people or you know a thousand or ten thousand people to buy this you know five dollar product we make 50 grand not knowing that you know all those people would probably be upset i've seen plenty you know people comment and uh, leave reviews on certain products that people have done brands for and they say this was trash i can't believe i brought it you know we just don't want to be um you know, spokespersons yeah for for <laughs> a bad product you know right. what i mean so and, and
5: it does reflect back on the influencer the creator because we've done uh brand um videos before where it did not go so well and and some of our followers were commenting hey i did this and you know you didn't tell me this was going to happen and this turned out this way and now i'm upset and why did you say that this would work if it didn't when not even realizing that we're just, you know, we're just simply making a video about a product that we had nothing to do with creating, or had nothing to do with uh, the business side of it. We're just promoting it. Right.
2: Right. <laughs>
5: so yeah.
1: Yeah, I remember. That. I mean, and and I think it's it's interesting, even at the very highest levels of this, how th- there needs to be some vetting and and that thought put into what you are promoting. Uh, I, I I don't even think it was. A year ago, I think it was just in the last few months, that Kim Kardashian was uh, accused of basically uh, doing a sponsored post on Instagram about a cryptocurrency that ended up being, you know, I, I don't know if it was specifically a scam, but people lost a ton of money over it. It was not a, a reputable product. Yeah, it was um, a rug, and,
4: They did a rug pull. Yeah, I remember.
1: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. and. And so, like that's a—it's one of those where clearly they kind of took the money uh, and just said, "Share whatever." I'll I'll promote this token. Um, and uh, so it just goes to show—it it goes all the way up to the, those. You know, Lord knows how much money <laughs> went right. into yeah. that one.
5: Yeah, you're definitely right about that. It's it's there's two sides to the coin. It's you know the brand, the particular brand being um, transparent about what it is that they want the creator to do, and also I think it's a part of the creator's responsibility to do their own research and make sure that they are promoting a product that maybe won't hurt their own brand. Because at the end of the day, we're all protecting and promoting our brand, all of us. That's all that we're doing. Right. So I think it's definitely a two-way street. You got to make sure that you know what you're worth by doing your own research and making sure that you have the proper um you know things in place to be able to present yourself to a brand and get compensated in a way that you would like instead of having the brands kind of pull you around and tell you what they're going to pay you and all this kind of stuff
4: right and we all absolutely love creative control i forgot you (laughs) asked that Emmy. we definitely love to be able to you know freely create how we want and we've they've most brands have given us creative control because they they look at our content and just we don't we don't have a specific type of video that we do we just it's all comedy content so they given us guidelines but never told us exactly how to shoot a video so but we love creative control <laughs> we're better that way
1: well jt and summer uh, remind us where can folks find you and your videos
4: we are at the classics on every social media platform the classics <laughs> c-l-a-s-s
1: three i's and c-s Wonderful. Well, I hope everyone checks it out. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for joining us, well, to talk about uh, the the kind of the behind the scenes of helping monetize influencers like that and get them uh, get them some money for all this effort they're putting into it. I appreciate you joining.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Emmy, thanks so much for uh, organizing this uh, this topic. It's a great one. I'm sure we will dig even deeper into some of these in uh, future episodes and in across Emmy's uh, coverage throughout Ad Week. Uh, so thanks so much for uh, co hosting with me and for organizing. In this whole conversation.
3: Thanks so much. Had fun. Thanks,
1: guys. I enjoyed it. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Well, we are out of time today, uh, but our uh, theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Al Manarino and edited by Lane McGibney. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we'll be back next week.